0: My dad was a Gideon, and I saw uh, his participation in the Gideon literally change his life in many ways. So it's a wonderful work that they do. Turn, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 25. We're going to continue in the life of David, and so we're going to read the first 17 verses of 1 Samuel 25. I'm reading from the New American uh, Standard Bible, verse 1. Then Samuel died, and all Israel gathered together and mourned for him and buried him at his house in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Now there was a man in Ma- Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich, and he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And it came about, while he was shearing his sheep in Carmel... Now the man's name was Nabal, his, and his wife's name was Abigail. The woman was intelligent and beautiful in appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in his dealings, and he was a Cabalite. That David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing a sheep. So David sent ten of his young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, visit Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say, Have a long life, peace, peace. Be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. Now I have heard that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we have not insulted them, nor have they missed anything all the days they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we have come on a festive day. Please give whatever you find at hand to your servants and to your son David. Verse 9. When David's young men came and they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in David's name, then they waited. But Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants today who are each breaking away from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to men whose origin I do not know? So David's young men retraced their way and went back, and they came and told him according to all these words. David said to his men, each of you gird on your sword. And so each man girded on his sword, and David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went up behind David, while 200 stayed with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he scorned them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we were not insulted, nor did we miss anything as long as we went about with them while we were in the fields. They were a wall to us both by night and by day, and all the time we were with them tending the sheep. Now therefore know and consider what you should do, For evil is plotted against our master and against all his household. And he is such a worthless man that no one can speak to him. Let's pray. Father, we pray as we look again into David's life that you would be pleased uh, to speak to our hearts. And so we ask that as we we look at this topic this morning that's uh, also relevant to our lives, that you would be uh, pleased uh, to minister from your spirit to us because we ask it in Jesus' name. So we're looking at David and Nabal here in chapter 25. It's it's a lesson on anger. And uh, we want to do a little bit of review. First I have, there we go. Um, David's life, um, I've got a, a little stronger one here. David was born in Bethlehem, and of course he went to the Valley of Elah, which was about right in here. He fought Goliath, and he came back, and Saul had him up here at Gibeah of Saul and made him a commander of a thousand. Jonathan became a very good friend of his. He married Saul's daughter, Michael. But then Saul got jealous of David. David had been anointed by uh, Samuel, who lived up here in Ramah, and come down to anoint David the, the next king of, of Israel because of Saul's disobedience to God and because he had rejected God's word. And so Saul was jealous. And so Saul three times tried to murder David himself. And then he began to plot against David. And one night he even set men around his house to bring him in in the morning to, to kill him. And Michael helped him escape. And so David went from Saul of Gilead up to Ramah, where Samuel lived, but Saul sent men several times, three times up there to take David in custody. But the Spirit of God came on them, and they prophesied, and, and it rendered them unable to fulfill it. So finally Saul came, came himself, and David recognized he was not going to be safe here. So he comes down the knob where there was a, a group of priests living, uh, and he got Goliath's sword and some bread, and he, in fear of Saul, fled to Gath. Uh, of the Philistines. And there he almost lost his life because, um, he's there in fear. And of course he, he, they recognize him as the great champion of Israel. He had to, uh, disguise himself as though he was a, a madman. And so they, they left him alone and he fled and he fled to the cave of Adullam. And here his family comes to him and, uh, Eventually, 600 men will rally to his cause uh, from those who, who are disillusioned with what Paul, uh, Saul's doing, those who are in debt. And uh, he takes his family over to Moab, uh, to the king of Moab to be kept safe. And David either stays in one of the fort of strongholds on, in Moab or perhaps some think Masada, And Gad comes to him and says, no, God wants you up in the land of Israel. You're called to be a shepherd of the people of Israel. God wants you to to fight for Israel, to protect Israel, to be in front of the the people of Israel. Uh, You're God's anointed. And so David David comes uh, up into this area right in here uh, near the cave of Adullam. And uh, so David's there. And eventually... Um, Saul comes out Saul's pursuing him every day he's plotting against him and David and his men move a little farther south and word comes to them that Kilah's been attacked and, and so David comes over and uh, he, he rescues Kilah even though his men were afraid they said you know, we, got, we got Saul up here we got the Philistines over here we're, we're afraid of Saul uh, how much more to risk our lives at Kilah But David uh, is obedient to to God's call. He rescues Kilah, even though later when he says, will they turn me over to Saul? Uh, God says, yes, they will, and he has to leave Kilah. And so he comes down in the wilderness of Judah. Uh, The northern part's called the wilderness of Ziph. The lower part's called the wilderness of Maon. Saul comes out several times trying to catch David. And the people of Ziph even betray David twice. and and David spares the life uh, of Saul. Now, we don't want you just to come away with a a geographical and chronological understanding of the life of David, because God's laying out in David's life. God had chose David. You remember God's testimony uh, about David, God's evaluation of David's character, uh, of his life was he was a man after God's own heart. There was that in David. He loved God. He wanted to serve God. And and there was that uh, where his heart beat after the things of God. So when Goliath was challenging Israel and, and uh, besmirching the name of God, his passion arose against that. Why isn't someone stopping this man? And then there's God's evaluation of David's legacy of his life. David served the purposes of God in his own generation because God, D- David allowed God to develop and equip him. And that's what all this traveling around that we're seeing is God working in David's life to equip him and to develop him. And so those, those things that we looked at are actually a number of lessons that David has learned. And so we've been trying to highlight these lessons. The first lesson he learned was the value and blessing of intimate friendship. And that's seen, first of all, in Jonathan. God knit the heart of Jonathan and David together. And Jonathan was someone who loyally defended David. But we saw last week in chapter 23, Bjorn mentioned it, and we saw it when we looked at the life of David and Jonathan together. David encouraged him in the Lord there are times when you need someone to encourage you in the Lord. Have you developed a friendship like that, where you have someone who loves the Lord, who it's iron sharpens iron, that can come alongside your life, and in those difficult times, turn your eyes away from the situation to the Lord. And so he David begins to develop a number of very godly friends. Gad, the one who told him to leave the stronghold and go back to Israel. Nathan, another prophet who will be very, very key in David's life. The second lesson we learned was the danger of fear. Um, Afraid of, of Saul's jealousy and attempts to murder him, David in fear fled to Gath where he both jeopardized his credibility in Israel and almost lost his life. Stripped of every other support, he learned God is enough and began to grow in faith. God could be, as he'll say, in a psalm at that time, Psalm 56, that we'll look at next week as we look at two psalms that kind of cover this whole period, he said, you're my strength, you're my refuge. You know, it's real easy to say, one and God is a majority until it's just you and God. And God's teaching that to David, and it's equipping David and when you go through Psalm 56, you'll, you'll see this progression of David's thinking as he's there surrounded by enemies, and, and they're talking about executing him. And he's cleverly trying to act as a madman, but he knows. Uh, and, and Psalm 56 tells us his prayer life has really improved in this situation as he goes to God. Um, you know, fear is one of those things that paralyzes believers. And the Lord knows that. I think that's one of the reasons he sent out people two by two. And he gives us this safety net of the local church. Paul could say to Timothy, but God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and and of self-control. Someone else has noted 366 times in the Bible is the command, do not be afraid, often followed by the promise, I will be with you. And all of us have to learn to conquer fear. It paralyzes us. It keeps us from speaking. It, it keeps us from attempting things for God. And David had to learn that. The second one David learned was the danger of the easy way. David was going to stay in the stronghold, either in Moab or at Masada, but Gad told him, go into the land of Judah. The easy way was to stay safe until Saul died. God wanted David where he could use him to protect God's people. And we saw that again last week when David defended the people of Kilah against the Philistines, even though his men were afraid. You know, the danger of the easy way is you're never going to be stretched. And if you're not going to be stretched, you're not going to grow. And it's real easy to, to just say, you know what? I, I'm just going to stay where I am. God wants us to develop faith and a greater view of God. And the lesson here, as Bjorn pointed out, is learning obedience. So when God directs, I say, I'm going to step out. I'm going to trust the living God. I'm not going to take the easy way. The the church is a place where we learn and serve. In way too much of Christendom, believers see their responsibility as coming and sitting to hear a sermon. But we're here to learn and to grow and to serve. And so, we here encourage people to step out. Try teaching a Sunday school class. Gasp! (laughs) Try teaching you know, it, it makes you dependent on God. <laughs> it makes you go to God. It improves your prayer life. Get involved in Wanas. This summer, go out on one of the evangelism teams and share the gospel on the doors. Join the Gideons. Other thing, let God stretch you. However God calls you, let God stretch you. Don't be content with the easy way. Sometimes, even when we're involved, we can get complacent. I have a friend, and he teaches staff at camp all summer. And I was talking to him, and he said, uh, I uh, um, got to thinking that some of the stories I was telling about answered prayer were 8 or 10 years old. And uh, he said, so I went to God, and I said, God, I'd like to have an answer to prayer that's more recent And so they needed some pipe of a certain kind for the camp, and there was an auction. Some of that pipe was available. He took four or five of the staff guys to go help move the pipe. And he said, uh, as they got there in the van, he says, Guys, we're going to pray that God gives us this pipe for 10 cents a foot. We're not going to go above that. We're going to ask God to give it to us for that. So they all prayed, and they began bidding, and I think, uh, I don't know exactly for sure, but uh, say there's 200 feet, and so he comes up for bid, and he, who who will offer for this? And he, twenty dollars. The guy kind of looks him and says, "Okay, who, who will give me forty? Nobody answers. Well, what about thirty-five? Nobody answers. How about twenty-five? Nobody answers. So he gets it for twenty. And they're load up the van. They're going and looking at something else. And you know, the kids, one of the kids are saying, Well, maybe it was only worth 20. And this truck drives up and this guy yells to a friend, Have they sold that pipe yet? Yeah. What did it sell for? Ten cents a foot. I would have paid a dollar a foot for that. I said, Well, that was a great answer to prayer. He said, Yeah. Unfortunately, the staff shared with uh, that went with me, shared it with everybody, so I have to wait till next year to to share it because everybody knows. But we get complacent, even when we're involved. What are we seeing God doing? What do we see God calling us to? Then the danger of the easy answer. Again, we saw that one last week. Twice David had the opportunity to kill Saul. His men wanted him to do it. The second time Abishai offered to kill uh, Saul for David. Both times David said, no, I will not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed." I love the title of Psalm 18. It says, A Psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord, uh, spoke to the Lord the words of this song in the day the Lord delivered him. I should go to the next one. On the day the Lord delivered him from all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. See, he had a category. These are my enemies. And Saul wasn't in that category. Saul was the Lord's anointed. The Lord had appointed him. The Lord will take him when it's time. It wasn't his job to do that. And David waited for the Lord's timing. God taught him integrity. Waiting for God's timing. So this morning we're going to look at another important one. The lesson. uh, And it's the danger of danger. Anger often leads to excess. Malice. Slander, violence, and retaliation. Like the person who said, I don't get even, I get ahead. And pretty soon, you have a Hatfield and McCoy situation. A pig got away. They argued over whose pig it was. And over the next 30 years, 60 men died. And a number of them went to prison. As that anger uh, accelerated, God's very clear. Romans 12, 17, 19, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. David's son Saul, or Solomon wrote in um, Proverbs 20, do not say, I will repay evil, wait for the Lord and he will save you. Where do you think he heard that from? So Samuel dies. All Israel comes up to bury him here up in Ramah. David and his men are in the wilderness of Judea. They go farther south into the wilderness of Paran. But eventually they they work their way back up. And we meet a man named Nabal who lived here in Maon. His Business was in Carmel. Carmel is just three miles south of Hebron. It's not the Carmel, Mount Carmel up here. uh, Like uh, I grew up in independence. Every state in the Union has an independence. There were two Bethlehems in Israel. That's why he says in Bethlehem Ephrathah. That's where the Messiah will be born. Because there was a Bethlehem up in uh, northern Israel. And so this man's here. His... His business is here in this whole area. He has 3,000 sheep and 1,000 um, goats. And so he's a wealthy man. But you'll notice what it says as back there in First Samuel 25. Um, it says of him in, in verse 3, uh, The man's name was Nabal. His wife was Abigail. The woman was intelligent and beautiful in appearance. But the man was harsh or mean or surly and evil or dishonest in his dealings. He was a Cableite, probably a reference to the leader of the tribe, Cable, or uh, Caleb, who was such a worthy man, and here's one of his ancestors, and he's so unworthy. And as we read, the times come to shear the sheep, and so they they're getting the bounty of what what God has supplied for them. And there's always a celebration in that they shear the sheep. They, they kill a few sheep. They have a big festival meal. And so David, because he, his men have been protecting uh, them in, in the wilderness. uh, They come and they ask for some food. You, You know, it, you saw a lot of the pictures from Bjorn last week. If you were here of the wilderness of Judea, here's, here's another example. And, uh, uh, this, is what, this is what it looks like, most of the plague, just some scrub. And then there's these little areas where maybe there's a, a, a little bit of a spring. But if you've got 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, you have to travel over a large land. And to the south of Israel is where the Amalekites, the Girgashites, and some of these other Bedouin tribe uh, peoples live. And, and of course, they, they attack, they make strike raids. They would like to have those sheep. And David and his men were a wall, a protection. And they didn't abuse their situation. And so David sends um, some of his men to to speak uh, to him. And he scorns them. Um, It it means to uh, hurl insults, sarcastic insults at them. And so he says, who's David? Who's this son of Jesse? He's just some guy who's run away from his master and, and is running around down there. And so David responds to that. When David hears of his sarcasm and insults, the anger, his anger got the best of him. And his immediate response was to take 400 of his men to completely destroy Nabal and his household. Uh, look at uh, verse 34, or verse 30, um, yes, verse 34. Nevertheless, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who restrained me from harming you, unless you'd come out quickly to meet me, surely there would not been left to Nabal until the morning light as much as one male. In his anger, David's going to come and he's going to wipe out the entire family of Nabal. I want you to think about that for a moment. Nabal, everyone agrees, was foolish, mean-spirited, harsh, and worthless. And those are the ones that knew him best. But are being ungrateful and selfish crimes that justly require the death penalty? If, if that was the standard, how few people there be in this room this morning. David's anger is pulling him. Anger is an emotion you feel when, when something is not granted that, that you feel is necessary or right. And his anger is pulling him to actions that are going to um, be harmful. And so his anger, while justified, he had been unappreciated, belittled, insulted. But his anger is pulling him towards things that are wrong. And so Abigail gets involved. And we see that beginning in verse 18. Abigail hurried, took 200 loaves of bread, two jugs of wine, five sheep already prepared, five measures of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, 200 cakes of figs, loaded them on donkeys, and she comes down to meet David. She recognizes that when the men come and tell her, she recognizes that her husband has acted very foolishly that um, uh, he's uh, going to. Uh, this is obviously going to arouse David's anger, and it's going to result in bad things. So she comes and she brings a gift, and then she she gives an apology. Um, look at verse twenty-three. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and dismounted from her donkey, fell on her face before David, bowed her face to herself to the ground. She felt his feet and said, "On me alone, my lord, be the blame. Please let your maidservant speak to you. Listen to the words of your servant. Please do not let my lord pay attention to this worthless man, Nabal, for his as is his name, which means foolish, so he is. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see." Uh, the young men to whom you sent later she will she will call his actions uh, a transgression and so she apologizes she recognizes her husband's actions she recognizes uh, that uh, it was wrong and there's blame to this and, and she, she points out her her su- husband 's foolishness but what I really want you to focus on is verses twenty six to thirty one the advice That she gives. The repetition of the word the Lord is going to occur seven times in this passage, and each one is significant. Verse 26, now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives, as your soul lives. um, The first thing she does is she says, as the Lord lives. That's something you'll find in Scripture said by believers. And she's pointing out to him that some of the people David was going to kill were believers. These are people who share his love for the living God. And David's going to sweep them away in his anger, along with a man who deserves judgment. Um, And and so David is going to uh, kill believers and followers of the Lord Jesus. You know, sometimes we have to ask ourselves, how is my action going to affect other believers? And then she says, Since the Lord has restrained you from shedding blood and avenging yourself by your own hand, now let your enemies be and those who seek evil against my Lord be as Nabal. Now let this gift which your maidservant has brought to my Lord be given to young men who accompany my Lord. The second thing she says is since the Lord has restrained you. Abigail wants David to see that God is at work stopping David from his actions that will have repercussions on his life and service to bring the Lord into the situation. You know, when, it's, when we consciously or unconsciously remove the Lord's presence and will from the situations of our lives, we find ourselves in trouble. She says, let your enemies be like Nabal. Abigail saying, you know, Nabal is a man whose actions eventually are gonna catch up to him. But don't let this be done by your hand. Don't let this wrong be done by you. And then verse 28. Please forgive the transgression of your maidservant. For the Lord will certainly make my Lord an enduring house. Because the Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord. And evil will not be found in you in all your days. For the Lord. The Lord has plans for your life. She says to David. David. He's going to give you an enduring dynasty as king of Israel. He wants you to fight the battles of the Lord. And here, the real battle is that evil not be found in you. That's what the real battle is here. See, in all of these things, while there's events happening, there's a battle behind God wants to develop and bring David to the place where he's the man who can do God's purposes in his generation. Satan wants David to discredit himself and be destroyed. And that same battle is being fought in your life. And so she says, Listen, God is at work. Keep the right perspective, see the bigger picture. You have a bright future. Live with it in focus. And then verse 29. Um, the Lord your God. God is sovereign. She says, listen, David, you are safe from your enemies. God would guard his life. He would bound it. She, she says, um Should anyone rise up to pursue you and seek your life, then the life of my Lord will be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemy, he'll sling out as from the hollow of a sling. She said, God is going to protect you, keep you safe to bring you to that. You're going to be put in the bundle of life. Nobody can break you free. Your enemies are going to be like a sling stone that's flung out of a sling. And then... Verse 30, and when the Lord does for my Lord occurring to all the good that He's spoken concerning you, and appoints you ruler over Israel, this will not cause grief or trouble heart to my Lord, both by having shed blood without cause, and by my Lord having avenged himself. When the Lord when God fulfills his promise and you are king, this action of taking revenge on Nabal will not cause grief, literally becomes something that staggers or stumbles your heart, having shed blood without a cause. And she says, when, she says listen, God's going to keep his promises. My wife and I took a trip, and she's been listening to some TED Talks, and one of them was about a woman who looked at people who were successful, and she said they all have the same quality. They're all people who persevere. They come different intellects, different backgrounds, but the people who are successful are people who perf- perse- persevere. And then she had, had another one where she said the key is when you fail to have not the sense of never, but have the sense of not yet. You give a 25 dumbbell to a to a two-year-old and say, lift it. Well, they can't do it. But you can say to them, you can't lift it now. Not yet, but you will. Because of of our God, because he's omniscient, he knows me, he knows what I'm facing. He knows it ultimately. Because of the omnipresence of God, even though the world and my own heart says, in this you're all alone. God says, I am with you. And the omnipotence of God says, even though it looks too hard, and you may not get it this time, you will someday. It's not never. It's not yet. And she says, God's going to fulfill his promises. And when God does that, you don't want this black mark on your life. And then she says, and by the way, when the Lord deals well with my Lord, Remember your maidservant. We know what's going to happen to Nabal. I'm going to be a widow someday. And when you come to your kingdom, you render me aid as a widow. And so we have the rest of the story very, very quickly. Nabal dies by the Lord's hand. Nabal's in a drunken stupor. His wife wakes the next day and said, you know, you came this close to death of every person in your household because I met David and kept him from killing us all. And Nabal apparently has a stroke, and 10 days later, the Lord takes him. And everybody knows it's God's judgment on Nabal. David didn't have to do it. God vindicated David. And David realizes that God kept him from wrong, a wrong response. In fact, he says to her in verse 32, he says to Abigail, blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discernment. Blessed be you. You have kept me this day from bloodshed, from avenging myself by my own hand. He saw God's blessing in that. And he, when Abel died, he says, God did this. God vindicated me. And then Abigail marries David. He sends a proposal of marriage to her. Well, three lessons. Anger can have Deadly results. So how do we handle anger? In the passion of the moment, we need to remember and be controlled by the purposes of God. There's a passion there. We need to recognize the passion that anger produces and that it produces excesses that cause problems. In the passion of the moment, we understand God is in control. God can vindicate God can help, and and we turn our eyes from the passion of the moment to the Lord. That's exactly what Abigail did for David. And then lastly, God is able to bring about right judgment, freeing us from the need to revenge. I don't have to seek revenge. Wait for the Lord, Psalm 20, 22. The Lord will repay, will take vengeance. And so as as the rest of of, um, Romans 12 goes on to say, therefore we can overcome evil with good. Anger. Boy, it's an epidemic in our nation today. People are just angry. And some of it, you know, they have a right to be angry. But they don't have a right to go beyond the boundary Of doing what's right. And God says I want to help you with this. David you're going to be king someday. You can't fly into a rage. And murder whole families. Every time someone insults you. You've got to deal with this. In your life. Let's pray. Father so many of these. Lessons of David. Are are lessons that. Are just true. Of my own life. Fear, anger, taking the easy way, looking to do the easy answer. Keep us from these things that would keep us midgets in service of you. Help us to be stretched. Help us to get a greater vision of who you are and what you can do even through us. Save us from uh, the bad outcomes of anger and fear. And so we pray that as you've taken David through this and left it for us, that your spirit would help us to learn these lessons as well because we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.